Hello, I'm Lane Stratton, and I'm delighted to bring you this podcast today. The South East Melbourne Primary Health Network is partnering with the Victorian Government to deliver the place-based suicide prevention trial. This podcast has come about as a result of these trials and reinforces the amazing work done so far in assisting all communities to build resilience and skills, enhancing their capacity to support each other through difficult periods. It's my great pleasure today to have with me Dr. Santino Atem Deng, PhD, an experienced counsellor, educator, researcher and trainer in mental health and trauma. He completed his PhD at Victoria University in Melbourne, where he investigated changes and challenges in South Sudanese family dynamics and parenting practices in Australia. He's a Master of Education, specialising in counselling, as a Bachelor of Education is widely published on many issues relating to community, to mental health, to family and parenting. Welcome, Dr. Santino. Thank you. Um, glad, grateful to have uh, to be here. How have you coped with um, COVID-19? What's been the impact for you personally? Yeah, I mean, the, um, it, the impact is, has been really tremendous because as we all know, it's caught all of us by surprise. We were not prepared for it. So the first thing that, um, you know, that happened is the isolation. You don't have to connect with people that you used to connect before. Um, you have to work from home, you know, which many of us were not familiar with, working from home. You have to conduct um, work on the phones or Zoom or Microsoft Team or any other sort of um, you know social media or avenues. So and and you know confined with kids in the house and <laughs> <laughs> you can't go anywhere. You know, it's, and you have to wear masks when you go out. Yeah, it just and, and you know a lot of scary news that you hear all the time about it. Just mm. not knowing much about this. Uh, disease or, or virus has, has been really tremendous. So, so um, yeah, I guess I've been a counsellor myself. We, you know, we just help other people and sometimes that helps you to forget more about it because, you you know, you have to preach what, you have to practice what you preach. <laughs> so what we say to our um, client to cope better is what we try to put in practice to make sure that we look after ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You come from a, a, a very collectivist culture, Santino, um, one that really is about community and it's about family and it's about tribe. I can imagine that the impact of socialization, uh, social isolation, uh, isolation on the South Sudanese community was really significant. What have you noticed about the impact that it had on your community? It is, it, it is uh, you know, enormous. You know, the... Um, we indeed, we came from uh, collectivist cultures, and I did mention in some of my um, publication where people kind of help each other in group setting. And um, so when the coronavirus came in, and based on what I'm hearing from community members, is that um, the most devastating part of it is being unable to be visited by, by friends or family members, unable to visit them. There are no uh, communal activities like um, parties or other things that used to bring people together. And these were very important in terms of um, coping with other issues, whether to do with settlements or settlement issues, and especially for those who have language barriers, uh, lack of understanding service provision, um, you know, cultural barriers, and, and, and the older generation in particular are the ones that are impacted a lot more um, in that regard because they don't have that social connection. They are not onto the te technology as young people are. So um, there has been tremendous isolation because when you don't have educational background in particular, because as you know, a lot of uh, you know, older generation in this community were deprived by the war, so they didn't go to school. So the you know the older generation really have been very isolated, but they try to connect using phone, but they cannot see each other as they used to do. 
as we are doing right now and, and many are in, in many other platforms. So that has been really a challenge. The other thing also is about, you know, people lost jobs and, um, and, and majority of the, some of the, those were, you know, doing some kind of job, like whether within um, care, personal care or NDIS and other kind of work, um, this job came to, you know, the, the crumble and, and a lot of this don't have enough income at the moment. So there is, it's another level of struggle that people are going through. Plus that isolation, we don't know what the mental health side of it will, um, it will be translated into. And mental health is a, you know, um, an area that I think community can sometimes find a bit confusing, isn't it? Because, you know, they don't necessarily have a word for it or an expression for it or a way of describing what it is that's actually happening to them from a mental health perspective. How have you found their ability to be able to explain what it is that they're feeling and to find, you know, coping mechanisms to be able to deal with those big emotions, particularly when we can't feed our family or we can't go to work or we can't see our family or a family member's sick and we can't visit them. These are all big emotions that this brings up, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I guess, uh, as you rightfully said, uh, mental health wasn't something that, um, you know, it's connect, it is connected with so many bad connotations, so many connotations that are attached to it. And because it, it was seen as sometime, at some point, as a curse or somebody's crazy and, and lack of understanding, as I mentioned about lack of understanding service provision, um, because most of the time, you know, I, the way I try to help people understand it is that um, when we are stressed or have issues, or thinking a lot about things or having nightmares, especially for those who have trauma, um, it's just like any other sickness we have in our body. Because when we are sick physically, we go to the doctor and, and we don't feel shy to go there. But with mental health, related sort of issues, people kind of shy away because the, the stigma is mm. quite huge, especially yeah. for those who are not fully aware of, because they, either because the, the environment they were brought up in, you know, um, mental health didn't exist, and also counselors or psychologists, psychiatrists mm. don't exist. So you normally go to community leader or community elder to go and get some advice and encouragement. That goes to what you asked earlier about uh, being from collectivist cultures. So a lot of this, um, when, when people are you know, in a communal place, they can support one another and they can overcome um, some of these challenges that they don't want to, to go to a particular counselor or psychologist to talk about. So there are um, a lot of issues around reaching out because you, know, you feel like, um, especially men, you feel like, um, it, it, it's something that it being weak if you reach out. And we know that it's also in the mainstream Australian uh, cultures with men. You know, people put up with it. If I do this, maybe people think that I'm weak. And, and you know, so the same thing apply in this community, especially lack of understanding it and, and feeling that I'm going to be judged if I do so. And uh, because people will be curious, why are you seeing a psychologist? What is wrong with you? Yeah. And, and because people that, that don't have background or training can, can judge sometime, you know, subconsciously, unconsciously, and they can just say, why don't you just over, get over it, you know? And they simplify what it is, and, and they, they make it worse because um, it's really hard for people to cope. So I guess the way to explain it is to, um, you know, when I talk of mental health, we don't use word mental health uh, directly. We say well-being because well-being is inclusive and because the word mental health, even word mental health, it, it's okay, um, which is different from mental illness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but people don't understand. They, they just, any word mental, just word mental alone sure. is associated with a lot of stigma. So you have to kind of generalize it in a different way that uh, well-being so that people can feel comfortable with and 
you know, explaining that it does help when you talk to somebody about it. You actually um, help yourself by externalizing this feeling and normalize them. And may, you might find solution when you become self-aware of them. Yeah, but given, I guess, the challenge you know, with stigma is that it, it doesn't necessarily encourage that help-seeking behavior. It doesn't encourage people to go and see people like yourself to talk about what's happening with their mental well-being. The byproduct of that is that they tend to internalize a lot of that pressure and a lot of that stress. And then that begins to make its way into other behaviors. What have you noticed in the family environments or in community, uh, the, the, the shifts in behavior that have occurred as a result of you know, of COVID-19 and the isolation that we've been that we've been through here in Victoria. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. I mean, you know, as human, we internalize a lot of stuff, and and we we are not open kind of people to talk about them because of you know some sort of barriers that are preventing people from talking about them. They actually internalize them, whereby those who seek help or talk about them can find solution or can normalize this. But those who have, you know, language barrier, lack of understanding, service provision, and so many other things um, can lead into internalizing all these issues. Even those who are aware, as I mentioned, the example of some men that struggle because they don't want to be seen as weak, because I also do counseling in the mainstream as well. Yeah. Um, so most of the time, um, it's, when we talk of domestic violence or child abuse or other things, these issues can happen because of so many external factors, things that are pressuring that that family and, and it just kind of like balloon being pumped up and and it's just, you know, it's reaching the capacity where it will explode if, if, yeah. if you don't stop pumping it. So the same thing with human, if you are not able to externalize uh, some of these feelings or find solution to them, they can um, they can come out in a bad, in a wrong way. For example, with young people, sometimes they go through a lot of issues and whether from home or what is happening at the schools and all this, um, you know, pressure coming from different direction can pressure them and they, because they are too young to understand, they internalize all of this and they come out in a bad way by doing something stupid because they feel like, um, you know, um, what to lose, uh, you know, and sometimes some even want to be in prison, which is really bad. If you look at it, it's just, it's just a manifestation of mental health or mental illness because, you, you know, people are, those kind of people are not seeing the future. Yeah, and they are also, just seeing there are barriers. They're also kind of in between generations, aren't they? You know, the older generation that sees the world in a particular way, and the younger generation that that still want to be attached to culture, and because culture and and family and community is so important, but at the same time are trying to emerge into a different kind of culture, and so as a result of that, are, are torn between both staying and going. You know, how does that manifest itself in young people? It is a, it is part of what I um, you know what I wrote about a lot uh, and in my thesis as well, um, and that is where you know this is what we call a culturation. It's when the you know the culture that you come with with the new culture meet. Um, there is a bit of friction if if it is not handled properly, um, because within a culturation there are different layers. And some and some of this, one of them is the best out of the four uh, type of acculturation or acculturation orientation. Um, integration is the most important part of really helping the newcomers into the new environment to be able to integrate into their new culture or host culture perfectly. What it means is they take a bit from um, the culture they come with that is compatible with their new environment. Um, for example, some of the values like South Sudanese um, the respect is something very, very important. When you look at young person like myself, you know, I might be as educated as I am, but if I meet a if I meet a, an older person based on our culture, I would refer to them as uncles. Yeah. aunties mm. and, and 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 again that goes into so many things if, if I'm if you come here I'm sitting on the chair 
I have to give you that chair to come and, and, and sit and I have to stand because you are older than me. So all of these values are some of the things that they can hold on to. And then also from the new environment, they have to take from the new environment as well so that you create some sort of hybrid to, to, to do well in the, your new environment. And part of it is, you know, getting involved in everything else right? so that you can get a job and so many other things. But there is another part of acculturation that is very unhelpful, that is assimilation. Um, some young people um, sometimes would choose to assimilate to the dominant culture and they forget about everything about the, the old culture, the thing that is really bad, we don't want to know about it. But then they actually end up coming back crushing because when they assimilate, they, they end up you know, finding themselves, they're not fully assimilate that culture, whether because of you know, looking different or because of something else that, that end up upsetting them or somebody might have just said something very simple. Where are you from? And they might say, I'm from wherever. No, 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 where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that can prompt them to think, oh, where am I from? And then plus so many other, you know, discrimination or racism that will factor in assimilation that way at that level wouldn't work because what happened with those kind of young people, they will not be part of the main culture. They will not be part of the original culture. They fall in the crack. Mm. and they create their own identity. And that is where it would be translated into, um, you know, juvenile uh, behaviors or antisocial behaviors or even gang because they, 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 they couldn't find anything from there and there, so they have to find their own way in the middle. Yeah. And that goes into separation as well, those who choose to not, you know, uh, you know integrate into their new culture. It doesn't help them. And those who marginalize are those who are severely and mentally unwell because they decide, I don't want to know anything about my original culture. I don't want to know anything about the new culture. I have to stay in my house. That is a serious mental health issue. Even if they might not have, they will have in the long run. So it is really important to understand these levels. I guess in COVID, one of the challenges was that they, you know, that these younger people who who might be looking to more towards assimilation were not able to leave their homes and not able to leave their families. <laughs> so the the places where they would go to assimilate or the places where they would go to escape from um, what they would see as the cultural um, barriers to them being able to assimilate um, were actually, you know, were, were quite strong and quite powerful. What was the effect of that with with family life during this COVID period? Did you see families really struggling to be together and to and to share this experience in a in a way that was helpful and healthy for all of them within the family? Yeah, I think absolutely. With young people, um, you know, trying being confined into a into a small space into a house without going out. And you know that when we are young, we have a lot of energy <laughs> and, and also wanting to connect. And, yeah. and part of what happened um, with the intergenerational gap between, especially for the newly arrived or, or new refugees or migrants, is that um, is like, I'm, I'm going to come to what you asked, but the other part that I didn't mention earlier is when they come to a new culture, children learn a new language quite quickly and understand the new system faster than their parent. As you know, the older we are, the harder it becomes for us to learn a new language and learn, you know, new trick. But young people can just within six months um, can learn the language and everything else and assimilate. So this could create um, some power reversal within the family because they become powerful. They know the language, they know their right. And parent would feel disempowered and, mm. and, and most of the time their children are actually the one that are translating or interpreting for them and doing so many other things. The friction will continue to widen as their children try to be like any other Australian, you know, going out with their friend and doing things and parent would be very discontent with that because that is what they don't know some of those 
because they were not brought up in that environment. But also they are afraid that children might fall into some sort of trouble. But also they expect them to do well in education or they want them to do a particular sort of studies to be a doctor or whatever it is, the expectation can be so tremendous on young person. This put a lot of pressure on them, but it come to what you just asked about, um, you know, where to, uh, when it come to COVID-19 being confined in their houses, um, there, there has been a lot of stories of, of, you know, concern of young people breaking the, the COVID-19 law or rule Mm-hmm. And then go out, and there has been a lot of fine issue against young people, and parents were really worried about. It, especially some parents that are quite vulnerable, they think that their children will go and bring COVID nineteen to them. Okay. So there has been tremendous uh, concern. But these young people, because as I said, when they are teenagers, it's a testing time, as we all know it. And they want to push the boundaries to go out and do other things. But at the same time, you are under restriction. So there are a lot of issues at the moment and friction within the family. Young people bringing a lot of fine home and they don't even have job to pay those fines. So it just, there are a lot. Um, this The mess COVID-19 has left behind will take time to, to clean up. Yeah, I think it, you know that that's not just true for the South Sudanese community. I think that's true for a lot of other communities as well. Um, you know, it's it's complicated, and I think what you're talking about here is how we now integrate back into um, more of a semblance of normality, right? So we've had this period of time where for about nine months we've been quite isolated and quite locked down here in Victoria, and now all of a sudden we're discovering more freedom. What are you anticipating will be some of the challenges for the community now as we move into this next phase and this adjustment back into some semblance of normal life? Do you think there'll be a flow-on effect into this new way of living? Absolutely. The um, impact will come in different ways. One of them now, people are, you know, in Victoria here, the fact that there are the restriction has been eased gradually and slowly, which has been really good. And, you know, the mass now being reduced down to only if you are um, within the crowd has been really great, has been a welcome news. But there are, there remain confusion for some uh, uncertainty because of um, whether the, you know, this COVID-19 will ever come back again to be the same way we were shut down before um, the the fact that people have lived in isolation for a very long time, and we know that um, when you live alone for a very long time, you get used to it. And when you go into a crowd, anxiety will kick in. And this is where other issues like depression and likelihood of mental health will kick in. So to, to get used to this again uh, might take time for some, uh, not all, uh, but might take time for some, as you said, not only South Sudanese, but it's, you know, everybody else that is impacted by. And again, that goes into age group and what sort of level of education, what sort of background people have and, and so many things because, you know, we are all different as human beings. So that that is one level um, that we don't know what, uh, how it's going to go about, whether we're going to go soon into normality where we can go to hold and be in a party together, which has been very helpful for some people that yeah. are quite isolated. But also um, employment. Uh, a lot of people lost job, but not only that, majority of them already were struggling to get job. Okay. And with this COVID-19, those who lost their job, they're not, it's really hard to get those jobs back, but also hard for those who are looking for jobs. And when you look at uh, this community like South Sudanese, as we're using it as an example, it has a very high level of young people that are highly educated, but they don't have job um, for some reason. As you know, there are a lot of things that are in the system that are potential barriers um, to getting those kind of jobs. So unemployment, and, and, and most of the time that goes into family issues, as you mentioned earlier, 
whether domestic violence and other things, because when people don't feel um, like they are contributing in the family, for example, men, they feel disempowered. And, and that sort of feeling would lead to some sort of behaviors that are undesirable in that sense. So um, unemployment is, is the major thing. And then mental health out of it, you know, something that people are not talking about a lot because it, again, because of the, the stigma tied to it, that mental health uh, or depression that will come with it. Um, will be tremendous as well, uh, whether to do with the anxiety of getting back to the crowd, anxiety of not having job, anxiety of so many other things that are, you know, and also anxiety of whether the COVID-19 will ever come back again. Do I really need to be in the crowd? Um, some yeah. people that are struggling already will was, would withdraw from going into crowd. So there are a lot, there are so many other things, you know, that are contributing factors to what would happen after this. Were there, were, were there any positives for community out of COVID-19? Because, you know, everything is, you know, it's two sides of the same coin, isn't it? When something's a negative, it can also be a positive. You know, we, we develop resilience or we, uh, we learn new coping mechanisms or we establish stronger relationships or... Um, you know, because we're forced together or we're forced to communicate in different ways. So not everything has to have a negative bent to it. What would you say some of the positives have been for community over this last 12-month period? That's a very good question. And first of all, as you know, as human, we sometimes dwell a lot more on anything negative, even if um, 90% is positive. The negative side of it is what we want to see because we yeah. want to solve that problem. Yeah. Therefore, we put a, we put a lot of focus on that because the the positive side of it, part of it, is what we put behind us. It's, it's done, <laughs> done deal. Um, so there has been a lot of positive. The community has been supporting each other quite a lot, especially those who were locked down during COVID nineteen. Some community members volunteered to go and do shopping for them. Yeah. Um, follow up, you know, make a phone call. Like there are some uh, organization based, uh, like for example, Suit Foundation, um, you know, has established a network of volunteers and helped the community members across Victoria. So food was being delivered to this family and, and a phone call always to check how they're doing. And also messages, you know, because as I mentioned about language barrier, some don't speak English, and especially those, there were some parents or grandparents of whom their children or their grandchildren left home, and they were they are left alone. As you know, it's, it's the culture here, <laughs> when you grow up and you are 18, you have right to move yeah. on, which is not in South Sudanese culture. You move on only if you are married. And and because this vulnerable um, population that are older and you know, they don't have education background because they were so deprived or um, they are quite vulnerable in different ways, they they were really struggling because they don't understand what it is being said on TV or whatever it is. Okay. So community members have to take it into their own hand and support these people, whether giving them key messages or explaining things or how to protect themselves, how to encourage them to go and get tested and the importance of all of this. At least all of this has been really powerful. So at the moment, the technology, you know, I think technology came at the right time <laughs> because if we didn't have this technology, I don't know how it would have been possible to support one another because that is the only way that people were able to check on each other. And most of the time, um, you know, people feel happy, and, and some of us has run some session on family well-being. So, you know, I, I do parenting on 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 the phone, and also online on this sort of platform to help parent cope um, with parenting children during COVID nineteen because this is where a lot of pressure is being put on these families of parents because of the children you know, not being allowed to go out a lot more or, you know, going yeah. to the park wasn't there before. But as a positive thing, 
I think people learn from it um, to be able to use technology better. <laughs> Those who are yeah. reluctant to use mm. it, <laughs> they are they are able to use it now. So you know the technology that, like for example, people are using WhatsApp, Facebook, and all of this, and they are actually quite connected in in those platforms especially those who are able to read and write. But also people are, people are quite eager um, to come out when this lockdown is all lifted and coronavirus is gone. They are quite eager to come together. They have developed some ideas on some of the things that they want to do because, um, you know, I think people are not as complacent as it used to be. So, you know, just sometimes when you are confined into your little space, it gives you the opportunity to reflect on so many things uh, and come up with some ideas. Um, so there are some good ideas coming uh, where people are going to be able to connect more after the COVID. Yeah, that's great. And, and wonderful to see communities stepping up and, and helping and supporting each other. I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? When we go through difficult times, we need people who are around us who are going to be uh, dependable um, and, and are going to help and support us through the complexity of the situation. And yeah, great to see there's some positive things coming out of it. What would you, what would you say to community, you know, as they go through this phase now where they've become more aware of what it is that's happened to them, they've become more aware of, of the impact that it's had, how do we encourage them to continue that journey of growth and development and and to continue to, you know, to find positives out of this situation? Yeah, I guess um, the most important part, and that's what we've been doing, is to make sure that they're not internalizing this issue of COVID-19 as their own problem. It is a universal problem. And when you look at it, Australia is better, you know, than in comparison to US and other countries that are going through tremendous uh, loss of life and, and, you know, number of people that are caught by COVID-19. I guess we are lucky on this side not to have that so many cases. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm. So trying some, uh, most of the time to look at your situation and look at the situation of others, that would help you to say, well, actually, I'm, I'm better off um, in comparison. That That is part of trying to normalize that, first of all, Second is to make sure that it, you know, it doesn't isolate you. You need to remain connected as much as possible. And, and this idea that if I ask for help or if I talk about my problem or concern that I have to somebody uh, might be seen as weakness. I always say that it's not weakness, actually. It's a strength uh, because those who ask for help or those who, who want to know about something are those who have strength. Mm. So we want to encourage the culture of asking, um, asking for help or ask questions about the thing that you don't know or you want to know about. Uh, within the community, um, there are people who knows other services, other support that are available. The problem the community have, as I mentioned, the, you know, potential barriers are you know, for some language barrier, cultural barriers, lack of understanding service provision, not knowing where to go and seek help. But if people are able to contact people, they know, because, you know, in a small community, the advantage of it, people know each other, somebody knows somebody. And that the chain can, you know, people can connect quite easily to, to getting uh, some kind of support. Other support, uh, we know other services out there might not be appropriate sometime, but that is where you need somebody who knows about services to be able to, to help. And, and what we found in the community, a lot of people like myself and others, we really, we genuinely want to help because of the, a lot of issues that are impacted, impacting the community. We see them as all of us, because when it comes to the media, as you know it, it impact on all of us. Yeah. So we took it upon ourselves that we have to help um, to solve some of the social issues, especially to do with um, you know young people uh, issues and family issues, and that's why I do a lot of family and parenting um, to help uh, family and community members to be able to 
you know, the parenting that I do is really, I always tell them that it's not about replacing your, you know, parenting practices. It's about enriching that. It's about creating some sort of balance. Again, that goes into the integration that I was talking about so that people can are able to understand what the law said, what the what is child right, and what are the strategies, because back home the disciplining of children was quite different from the way yeah. it is here. Yeah. It might be similar in different ways, yeah. but it is quite different. So I want them to create some sort of balance or equilibrium so that they are able to um, communicate better with their children and have different strategies of disciplining. And, and this is the, the part that has been ignored. I mean, there has, no, there has been no, there has been only very limited resources put into family work. And, uh, and most of the time when people come to a new country, um, they are expected to, to, learn about, to learn about their new system. But I believe there is need for support to be able, especially for those who might, um, might be a bit older and, and have issues um, who have language barriers, should I say, and to be able to be given support. So, you know, and, I, and I'm a believer of a holistic approach. When you want to help someone, you need to help them holistically um, so that you tackle all the issues that are there. And so that is what we've been advocating. That's what we've been preaching in the community so that community members can support one another and reach out for help. How does the how does the system need to change? I mean, it's wonderful that community are empowering community to uh, to work together um, to bring about some of that change within the confines of community. But uh, there is this you know massive system out there. Um, you know everything from uh, you know the authorities through to you know mental health and mental well-being and 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 the you know GPs and there's so many uh, places that people can go to get help and support. Yet oftentimes there's barriers associated with them being able to do that effectively. What needs to change within our current systems in order for us to work with? South Sudanese communities more effectively? What, what are the things that need to happen? I think it's a very good question. I think better, better coordination, collaboration, and creating, because you know when you look at services, as you said, it's quite confusing for yeah. some people. Yeah. The service might be coming just wanting to do that. Is coming to do their part, you know. For these families, it's actually they get overwhelmed at some point, and some actually decide to say, "This is too much. I, I don't understand this." Yeah. And sometimes they lump them together as one sort of services. And and so, if there was a way that service can collaborate better, rather than just doing part of this, part of that, and have coordinated sort of efforts and support. That would make a difference, and and what I realize here, um, a lot of services are not working together. Uh, sometimes some would be even close to each other, but they don't know what the other is doing. That and they're not working closely. And um, and I, you know, was meeting with other members yesterday with the ministry, um, federal ministry, and and one of them acknowledged the fact that. Um, you know, sometimes we expect the community to do that, to do a lot of work, but we actually put, we actually don't put a lot of resources to empower them or to support them mm. because, yes, it might be, you know, they want to help their community, but actually it is the responsibility of whether the government or the services, service, relevant services that are working within the area to, to be able to step in and help. So lack of empowering uh, community also has been an issue because you find uh, uh, substantial funding for into bigger organizations that are well structured, which is for good reason because they're wanting to get a good report and all of this. But sometimes some are not. Are not. I'm not saying all of them. Some are not making uh, an impact in the community, either because people don't understand. Or because there are, you know, you don't, they don't have a lot of people from the community that are really um, 
influential in their community, who can connect community to those services. So uh, I think there is need for having some community members in key services that are supporting the community so that they can create those bridge, you know, bridge that will, um, where trust can be created. And uh, because there is um, there is a bit of loss of trust because okay. also the community has been over-researched. Sometimes a lot of researchers will come and interview some people and, and, and people might have expectation. They think that is, you know, they will get something good from them, from that, and they might get their problem solved, but they end up being, you know, feeling disappointed. So, you know, coordination and collaboration and holistic approach and empowering the community would help because what is coming out is strongly in the community now, especially after, you know, during this COVID-19, is to um, to have a space after this COVID-19 so that people can come to, because there are some uh, elders in the community who are now saying that the issues of our children is, is really huge. We want to come out and help, but we don't have a space where we can meet these young people, where we can engage with them. So there has to be um, some kind of strategies where things that are appealing to young people where they can engage with this older generation because of this intergenerational gap, because some of the values that they can help them with would help them integrate better into the Australian uh, culture or, or environment. Do you think that, you know, it needs to start with us just simply trying to understand each other better is it is it is it more complicated than that that the system you know it feels to me like the system is set up and it tries hard to meet the needs of different um, culturally and linguistically diverse communities um, but somehow it, it it kind of only goes so far and and it doesn't quite go as far as it needs to in terms of meeting community where they're at and truly understanding what each individual community needs in order for us to cater for their specific needs in a way that meets their cultural nuances and takes into account their cultural nuances. Is it as simple as we need to talk more? Absolutely. There is, there is no doubt because as human, the only way that we can understand something is to be able to communicate. Like, for example, people go to war, like in those countries, uh, whether to do with world wars or so many other wars that are going on, even the example of Sudan. And, and a lot of bad things might have happened, but people have to sit down and dialogue. Mm. So what is important, I'm just giving that example, not really the same, the way, the way it is, but um, if we don't know um, about our new uh, comers or newly emerging community, we wouldn't know what are their issues uh, because sometimes we know that majority of us, we rely on the media. And, and even that applied to South Sudanese and many other emerging community. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there are some people that are very judgmental to where these young people, they feel very upset with them because of what they are doing. And sometimes they may be because they don't even have connection in the community, but what they are hearing is on the media only. So they see what these young people are doing is really bad, which is of course, some young, what they are doing is not good, but they don't have a background knowledge of what are the issues, why are they behaving this way? So have, you know, sitting back a bit and understand and ask some hard questions. What is happening at home? What is happening at school? What is happening in, in terms of in the system? You know, where are we failing here to help these young people? How can we help them better? What can we do to change this dynamic? Mm. Those kind of questions can help. So when it comes to understanding uh, culture, it's two ways is for the newly arrived to be able to learn about the new uh, environment and culture so that they can integrate into it as I talk of, of integration. It's also about the new, um, the host, the new host culture to be able to embrace and welcome these people, make them feel part of, you know, make them belong. Because sometimes when you feel other, 
when you feel like you don't belong to that part of the environment, especially for young people, it actually um, manifests itself in a very bad way, you know, bad yep. behaviors, and because they feel rejected and they don't care. And, and so these are the things that can lead to, and it's not a justification, but these are the reality of human nature. When people feel like they don't belong, there mm. are so many things that happen because they don't, they don't see anything positive. And that's why you see sometimes there are um, a lot of bad things that are happening where the people are you know, taking their own life and, and what have you, which is unfortunate. So we need to look into um, understanding Bosway. And that is some of the thing that I'm doing in my program. What I'm doing is to create that balance. You know, mm. you need, you are here in this environment. You are not back home. You are here. So all you need to do, carry with you the, the good part of your culture and take from the new environment, combine yep. them. Yep. Absolutely. You, when you combine them, you actually do better. And part of combining them, actually, you participate in everything uh, like anybody else in, in the new environment. And all you need to be able uh, to be able to do all of this, you need somebody to support you, to be able to feel at home. So I, I remember, you know, because I was from New Zealand, I went to New Zealand uh, um, in early 2000. Um, there used to be some, you know, uh, people assigned to with, with the newly arrived to support them, take them around, show them around. And this become part of those families. They, they remain close forever. Mm. So this is part of really helping people integrate into their new uh, new culture. But if you find people just wondering, finding their way out of the system, the service providers are not always there. <laughs> They're not yeah. going to be there all the time. But if there are community members who can work with these newly arrived and help them settle in, that can make a difference. Most of my training as well, what I do in, I look at identifying issues. For example, um, starting with family, there are some things that family can do within the household, whether communicating with children, because some parent might have come from a very authoritarian parenting background where you're young, you know nothing, listen, take it from me, you're gonna be all right. Actually, this is done with good intention, yeah. but it doesn't work like that in this environment or in this modern age. So you need to change your tune, how you talk to, to young people like that and involve them, use some sort of authoritative parenting style. So, I, you know, and communicating with them better. This is something that family parent can do at their level. There are some things that the community can do at their level, you know, having communal place where people can come and cheer, you know, experience ideas and bring people from the mainstream community to come and interact with you, let them know about your culture, let them know about food, like South Sudanese have some wonderful food, but not many Australians know about them. They have wonderful cultural dance and so many other things. All of this, nobody, I mean, very few know about them. Yeah. And, and then it goes to the next level where service providers can help and then government will come last. So there are four levels where these issues can be tackled. And it starts with community. It starts with people like me and others just involving themselves with community to gain a greater appreciation of what South Sudanese community brings to this country and some of the challenges that we can help them to overcome in, as you say, helping them to integrate into a way of living which not only meets the needs of you know, the cultural needs that have existed, but also helps them to integrate into the best of what we have in this country that they might be able to take advantage of. I think that's a, a wonderful idea. Um, yeah, and those... to give, just give you one example, like, um, you know, um, when I, I used to do some presentation to Victoria Police about cultures and how to engage with, um, with this community. And, and one time, one policeman asked me, is being rude part of your culture? <laughs> and I said, no, it's actually being polite is what is part of our culture. The reason why I asked this question, because he never interacted with any South Sudanese in ordinary time. He always interacts with young people that are maybe violent okay. or in domestic violence situation. 
So you know, you, you can see, and, and this is this is because this is his experience. Of course, I wouldn't judge him for that. I wouldn't say that he's ignorant um, because that is what he has been meeting. Yep. So one policeman came out and said, I guess the, the, the thing we have is because we only meet with your community members when there is a problem. Actually, we need to have some barbecue together. We, we need to come and attend some event together yep. so that we've got to know your community members and even the youth and all of these. South Sudanese are very hospitable. Those who have mm -hmm. come across um, some of the things, you know, parties or whatever that they organize, you know, if you come as a guest, the way you will be treated, you will go away surprised, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> contrary to what you might have seen somewhere um, being, you know, being said or because they say always that, um, you know, one rotten onion can rotten the whole sex of, yeah. <laughs> of, of yeah. onions. So the same thing apply. And we know that in every community there are good and bad. And and if we look at um, addressing the social, the deep root, the root causes of these social issues, we can find solution to that. And what you say, what you suggested, or what you say, starting with me to you know get to know about these particular people, because as human being, the best of me, you can know the best of me when you make me feel like I belong, or when you are interested in understanding uh, who I am and what is good about me. Um, and, and sometimes because we don't have time and people don't meet and, and the challenge of being very individualized nowadays. And you know, I, I always talk to older generation from Australia and they say, it doesn't used to be like this. Mm. We used to yeah. know each other um, as neighbors. We used to do a lot of things together, but now you don't even know your, your next door neighbor. Yeah. So there is a challenge already, and, and this leads to a lot of isolation and mental health issues. So we need yeah. to find ways on how to bring back some of those older ones, older, you know, older way of, of doing things or connecting more um, so that we can avoid the isolation and, and not knowing. And, you know, sometimes there is fear of unknown. If somebody meets you, in the, you know, on the road, they will be fearful because of what it is. They're just associating you with what they see on the TV or what sure. they saw in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there is a lingering fear of unknown. Yeah, those biases can be very, um, very powerful, can't they? Um, yeah. I, I think what, what advice, my final question as we come to the end of what's been a really um, interesting conversation, um, Dr. Santino. So thank you for you know, the wealth of experience that you've brought. One of the things that I'd like to um, to do is to get some key messages out to community that that if things are tough for them coming into this next phase of transition, um, whether it's you know um, struggling with you know with housing or whether it's struggling with a job or being able to afford food or uh, even mental health related issues, what advice do you give to community members who might be listening? or watching this and might be thinking to themselves, that's me, I'm really struggling at the moment and I don't know what to do. What is the advice that we give to community members in order to help them to get through this tough time? Well, first of all, there is always the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, and, and most of, as, as human, this is, part of our, this is part of tests. We are all tested in one way or another. And, and as I mentioned earlier, part of trying to um, externalize um, what we are going through or what, has, what, what we have gone through and part of trying to normalize it is very important because what keeps us going as human is when we are optimistic, um, you know, uh, uh, contrary to being pessimistic because sometimes we don't know what tomorrow brings, but if we are hopeful, um, what you know tomorrow will be good then it's us who make that uh, it's like uh, when people are given you know uh, new medicine is being trialed there are people that are given placebo and the real medicine but because our brain is yeah. kind of altered to believe that actually I'm getting a, an actual treatment so you actually feel okay you actually feel you recover 
um, but because our mind and body are connected. So psychological and emotionally, we need to find ways on how to communicate all of these without in your own houses and thinking about them all the time. Communicate with others. Talk to somebody that you trust. Talk to some influential community members. Ask for help. Even if you don't, even if you may not ask directly for help, you can say, you know, where can I get this support or where, because I know somebody in the community that might need help. <laughs> if you think that you're going to be judged individually, you can just say somebody is struggling and, and what sort of help um, is available out there. And some of us, you know, know there are some services out there that we can connect people to. Um, so it is important to reach out. Uh, we need to change the culture of um, not reaching out. We need to change the culture of thinking that if I ask for help, then uh, I will be considered weak or people would think that I have mental health issues. Actually, those who ask for help are those who have strength. So the strength that you have when you ask for help, you're going to be able to help somebody else because you have that knowledge. And you will have that experience of, 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 of seeking help. And, and again, it comes down to people that are helping other people in the community sometimes. They shouldn't look at themselves that as if they are superhuman. When you're helping somebody, you are exposed and you become vulnerable as well. And, and that's what a lot of people are doing in our community. They are helping a lot. Um, and those who are helping need a bit of support, a bit of empowerment to be able to help other people in the community as well. So they need to, to come out. Um, you know, uh, they, there are a lot of services, as you mentioned earlier, just that um, lack of collaboration and coordination and not knowing uh, what some service deliver is a problem. The, the government, on the other hand, has been very helpful in some areas, which is really good. I mean, in a sense, uh, we are lucky to um, to be able to get this support to the community, and, and we know that more support are always out there. Um, but the only problem is, is um, the disparity here in those who don't know where to access that help, those who don't know how to ask for help, will always struggle mm. because they don't know the help that is out there. And especially those community, when the community is not well organized, they wouldn't get any, any support as well, but there is support out there. So unity and supporting one another, checking on each other is very important. It is very important, really powerful message. Where would someone go for that first, um, that first help that they needed? What would be the first place? Would, would it be that they would phone yeah, their GP or is there a community place that they could contact to get that first level of, of help? Yes, there are. Um, within South Sudanese, it has um, community leadership. There are different layers of community, whether it's sub-community, major community, but there are other services as well. For example, um, the work that I do, I do it under African-Australian Family and Parenting Support Service. Um, mainly uh, do consultation and uh, counseling and um, uh, family well-being, which is uh, parenting. It used I used to call it positive parenting, but yep. the word positive parenting sound very strong, so I changed it to just family well-being. So I'm running few of them at the moment with other service providers as well. But I also volunteer. I work with Foundation House as well as a counselor. So people can get support and, and, you know, as from the community, we understand the culture. Um, there are so many ways that people can be supported. It's not only counseling. Counselors are called counselor advocates and they can help um, provide counseling support for people. Uh, when it comes to other support during COVID-19, there has been a South Sudanese organization called Sud Foundation. Sud Foundation is it's come the word Sud come from a swampy area in, in South Sudan that is the okay. name given to that area, and um, and Sud Foundation has been really helping uh, community members, especially those who are affected by COVID nineteen, whether directly or indirectly, 
by distributing food after they were given a bit of funding uh, by the government department and distribute food, uh, which, um, you know, it was, the, the feedback was tremendous. Uh, people wow. were very appreciative for the support. So this, this is one of the organizations that can help. It's still growing. It's a new organization, but it can be a point. And as I said, there are individuals within the community who knows about other services. There are individual leaders. There are practitioners like myself. So people can reach us in in different way. Or if they don't know, they can ask somebody. And somebody might know somebody. As okay. I said, there is an advantage of a small community. Well, I'll certainly make sure that the details of all of those organisations that you've mentioned appears at the end of this podcast. So, uh, along with phone numbers. So, if people want to reach out and contact. Uh, some of those uh, community support groups, they, they can. So I'll make sure that happens. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, that brings us to the end of our uh, discussion today. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I really appreciate the openness and the willingness to be uh, transparent and honest about what's happening in community and, and also to be so practical in terms of your advice that you're going to, uh, that we're providing to community. And hopefully that's going to be um, very helpful uh, for individuals who have a need. Thank you very much for uh, for being part of the podcast today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, good work. We need to create that awareness in the community. So keep it up. And thank you very much for uh, this opportunity. Thank you. Uh, bye.